Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Last week we began a, a mini-series, if you will, uh, by considering the first Christmas carols that were recorded by Luke. And this morning we will continue that. Uh, thought. Last week we looked at Mary's song, and this week we'll consider the first Christmas carols, Zachariah's song from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 75. When we break into our text this morning, or enter in at the jump-off point, if you will, that we are in chapter 1, verse 67, Zachariah finally breaks silence. Silence that he breaks in order to begin to sing an incredible song. A song of worship, a song of praise. It is the second song of the four songs, the four Christmas carols, if you will, recorded by Luke. Now, you'll remember that Zechariah has not, I say he broke his silence because he's not been able to speak. And you'll remember that Zechariah has not been a mute because he was born that way. You'll remember that Zechariah is not a mute now because of some tragic accident in his life or because of some illness. But Zechariah's muteness has only lasted for nine months, the exact same time that his wife Elizabeth has been with a child. And the, the, the muteness has, become, has, has come about in his life because, well, Zechariah is a priest, and he's working in the temple one day, and the angel of the Lord appears unto him and says, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a child. And Zechariah thinks, well, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. She and I are both old. You know, just like a husband, throw his wife in the yeah, she's too old. Well, Zachariah said, there is no way this is going to happen. She is, she, we're both too old. You see, Zachariah was not only going to have a child, but he's going to have a son. And not only was he going to have a son, but he's going to have a very special son. And Zechariah understood because of his position as a priest, he had understood that when, when the angel of the Lord began to tell him that your son is going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Zechariah knew that God was speaking of Old Testament prophecy and that God had just spoken to Zechariah that you are going to give, you, you and your wife are going to be the parents of the forerunner of Christ. Zechariah didn't believe at first, and so he's been mute for this nine months. The baby is born, and it's time for the baby to be circumcised. And now, Elijah breaks his silence. His tongue is loosed. Would to God this morning that missionary Baptists would learn how to loose their tongue again. Point taken? Uh, do you not see what I'm saying? You think Zechariah sat there, Brother David? Do you really think that Zechariah was standing there in the temple and the angel said, this is what's going to happen, and he just looked at him with this blank stare? I doubt it. I doubt it very seriously. Especially when that child was circumcised and he finally gained the ability to speak again Read with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, and see if this is the sound of a man who is afraid to worship God and afraid to show some excitement about God, or is this the tongue of a man that's just been loosed to let the glory roll? 
Read with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy that promised to our, forefather, to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Brother Brian, would you lead us in prayer, please, sir? I'd ask you to go back and pay close attention to the course of the days. You'll go back and revisit this passage, hopefully, and see that like Mary's song, Zechariah does mention himself. He does mention that God has done some wonderful things, as Mary did, but the focus, the attention, uh, all of the, 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 the just all the, the, the focus and, and everything is upon what God has done. And the fulfillment of, of prophecies, and the fulfillment of promises, and the fulfillment of covenants. There's one thing that I just have to share with you that stands out on this passage to me, uh, and is just almost very remarkable. We know that there were four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know that one out of the four is a Gentile. Which one of the four is a Gentile? It's okay to talk, y'all. Which one of the four is a Gentile? It's, it's real easy to figure out. We're in his book this morning. <laughs> Luke is the Gentile. Luke is the only Gentile of the four. And yet, when you look at this, Luke's not trying to hide all of the Old Testament prophecies. Luke's not saying, listen, I'm a Gentile, and this really doesn't mean anything to me. Luke is not saying, listen, most of my readers are probably going to be Gentiles, and so this will mean nothing to them. But rather, Luke is focusing that this Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. I would submit to you this morning, to understand the Christ, you need to understand the Old Testament. To understand the Old Testament, you need to understand Christ. For they speak of one and the same. 
Here is a Luke, uh, here is a Gentile writer who is writing and he's talking about all the promises to David and all the promises to Abraham. And he's talking about this Old Testament prophecy that a forerunner of Christ was coming. And he says, my boy is that forerunner. Luke is focusing on the Old Testament prophecies, even though he is a Gentile. I think that is pretty fascinating. The focus, the emphasis, the attention is all fixed firmly upon God and what God is doing for the Jew and for the whole world. I would, I would ask you today, may every bit of our emphasis, may every bit of our focus, may all of our energies be put into. You see, I, I think that's one reason why we fail to worship God correctly for some of you, this will be the first time in, in several days that you've sat down and kind of can go, whew. And so the flesh's reaction is to kind of kick the mind up into neutral and just kind of chill out and vegetate for an hour while the preacher gets up there and hollers for a while. And that's why we don't, that's why we don't get around to worshiping. If you view coming to church services as a chance to rest and not think... You don't understand worship. You don't understand worship. Worship is us coming and giving to Him. And it involves work. It involves effort. So may all of our thoughts this morning be active. May we not get into daydream land. May we truly focus on what God has done for the Jew first, but also for you and I this morning. We'll talk about some key words in our text this morning, but the first key word I want you to consider this morning is the word remembered. The word remembered. If you go back and you look in your text, you're going to find that, that, that Zechariah mentions the fact that God had remembered the covenant to David. God had remembered the covenant to Abraham. Now, when I say remember, what comes to your mind? Generally, if you and I talk about, well, I just remembered what, we, what had we done first in order that we remembered? We forgot. Please understand that when I say that God remembered, please understand that that does not mean that sitting upon His throne, God is there one day and all of a sudden He goes, Oh, I almost forgot! I had said I would do this! That's not what happened. That is not even close to what happened. This word remembered is very closely akin to the word we talked about last week in Mary's song about that God was mindful. And again, it doesn't mean that, well, God had meant to do this and he had forgotten. And all of a sudden it came back. But that God had always intended to keep this promise. Now I want you to think with me for just a minute. Somewhere, somewhere, Probably about 2000 BC. God calls Abraham, says, Abraham, come, leave the Ur of Chaldees, leave your family, leave the pagan lifestyle that, that was in that land, come and follow me. I will take you to a land that I will give to you, and I will make your nation great. I'll make a great nation of you, and in you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. That's in 2000 BC. We roll around to about 1450, 1500 B.C. And instead of being a, a great, mighty, powerful nation, guess where his family is? Egypt. 
What are they doing in Egypt? Anybody remember that? They're slaves. They're building the glory of Egypt and all of its, uh, uh, all of the, 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 the huge buildings and so forth. And so here they are, and no doubt the Hebrews are thinking, now wait a minute, this is not kind of, it's just in what we thought. And after 400 years, God raises up Moses, and so all of a sudden hope is renewed, and here's our deliverer. Now God's going to do it. And he leads the children of Israel out, and they go to a land. And they enjoy a few years of having a kingdom, but still not what God had promised. And all of a sudden, we start seeing the Syrians come up. We see the Medes and the Persians. We see the Babylonians. And each time, no doubt, these Hebrews are thinking, Lord, this is not what you promised. And they're still waiting and they're still hoping. And each time through the judges and through all these other prophets, God would lead them and remind them, I'm going to do this. And even in in the last book of Malachi, uh, the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, God reminds them one more time in chapter 3, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And what follows that? 400 years of darkness and quiet. Not one prophet, not one messenger, not one word from the Lord for 400 years. Israel has never known anything like that up until that point. And no doubt they're thinking, well, here we go again. Now Rome is in charge. Is it ever going to happen? Could it ever be that God is actually going to do this? The problem is not that God had forgotten along the way. The the problem is, is that God was working so that when the fullness of time would come, He would send forth His Son. It was God's timetable. It was not Israel's. But in our psalm, Zechariah begins to extol the greatness of God because after all of these years and after all the doubting and after all the fears that God was not going to do this, God has now remembered. And again, not that He has forgotten. I think a lot of times we look at this idea of, of God and His plan as if God had a plan And all of a sudden, man sinned and God's whole plan went terribly wrong. And so now God's kind of winging it and flying by the seat of his britches, if you'll let me use that, not disrespectfully. And he is reacting and trying to come up with a plan to counteract this. No, that is not what has happened. You You want your mind blowed this morning? I promise you, if you'll truly let these statements just really sink in and and, and get all the goody out of it that you can, there's no way you'll be able to, to fully wrap your mind around it. Here we go. Before the world began, God put in place a plan. Before God ever said, let there be, I'm talking about in the darkness of space, in in eternity past, 
where there was no world, there was no universe, there was nothing other than the triune Godhead. Even before the world of angels, when it was nothing other than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it had always been the plan that I will send my Son and He will die. Send Him where? To the world that I'm yet to create. Well, why would you send your son to die? Because I'm going to create a world, and I'm going to put man on it, and I'm going to tell man to, to, to rule the world, and I'm going to create them in innocency, and I'm going to come and walk with them, and they're going to walk with me, and we're going to talk, and we're going to fellowship, and it's going to be wonderful. The only thing they have to do is make sure they don't eat of that one tree. God knew they was going to eat of that tree. Now, just for the sake of those that, you know, would have some Calvinist background, God didn't make them eat of that tree. They chose free will. We were talking about this morning. They chose to eat of that tree. But God knew what they were going to do. And I don't subscribe to the idea that the world is billions and billions and billions of years old, but I do subscribe to the thought that because God is eternal, billions and billions and billions and billions and however many more billions of years you want to go before there ever was a world, before there ever was an Adam and Eve, before there ever was a tree, before there ever was a forbidden fruit, God said, Jesus, we will purchase humanity. God had remembered, not that he had forgotten. Get your hymnals out for me, please. Get your white hymnals, 492. I, I've been on a kick lately. You've probably figured that out lately. I've been on a kick lately going back and looking at our hymnals and seeing how many truths I preach to you are in song and somehow we never catch it. 492, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned, then I trembled at the law I'd spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything, now I gladly own him as my king, now my raptured soul can sing of Calvary. But now listen to this last verse. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. In that eternity past, God's love began to pin not a salvation plan, not a good salvation plan, not the best of other salvation plans. God pinned the only salvation plan. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought what? That plan down to man. Before Christ came, salvation's plan was drew, was, was, was drawn. I'll get it right in a minute. But salvation's plan was there before Christ came. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, that mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy. There was great and free. Mercy there was uh, great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The love of God drew that plan before he ever came. Zach Zachariah sings that God had remembered. 
Not only had God remembered, but Zechariah now begins to move into the second thing in his song. And he says that we have been relieved. If you go back and you look in the text in Luke chapter 1, uh, again back in verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited. That word visited. Say, so, well how does that mean relieved? Well, I won't have the time to go through it all this morning, but if you'll go to, and, and if you want to write these down, Matthew chapter 25, verses 36 and 43, Acts chapter 7, verse 23, Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and then James chapter 127, you're going to find this same word, visited, appears in Scripture. And while you and I think of visited, well, we, first church I pastored had uh, the Cleveland County, what was it called, Paul? Siftings? Herald? Cleveland County Herald, and it only came out one day a week, and you could read on it who went to whose house to eat last Sunday. I mean, it was really that bad. Uh, So-and-so went to so-and-so's house to eat last Sunday, and I think sometimes there was even the menu. They had pot roast, you know, and all this and that and the other. We sometimes think the idea of visiting is to go, and we sit down, and we eat a meal together, and, and, and maybe we play a game or two, dominoes or cards or whatever it is we might do, watch a football game or whatever, and then we get up and go home. But this particular word for visited has the idea of going, but going with the intention of helping somebody, of relieving somebody. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is, is teaching. He says he's going to separate all the nations into the sheep and the goat. And they said, well, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, because you have, you have clothed those that were naked and you fed those that were hungry and you gave water to those and you brought to liberation those that were uh, enslaved. And they said, well... How did we do that? And he says, when you did it unto me, you did it unto the least of these. And he uses the word visited. When you helped those that were in hunger, when you helped those who were poor, when you visited, not went by and ate all their groceries, that makes them poor. <laughs> but you went by and you aided them, you relieved them, you helped them. In James chapter 1, verse 27, James says, What is pure religion? What is true religion? When we visit the fatherless. An orphan child is not really too interested in me coming by and just, you know, how's your week been? But if I'm there to help him. You see what I'm saying? So this word visited that he uses, Zechariah uses, he understood, he chose that word specifically because it is a word that is used primarily with the idea of visiting, with the idea of assisting and aiding and relieving. And don't tell me for one moment that Zechariah wrote that the true God of heaven, the only God, came to this earth with no other purpose than to relieve you and I. And he sat there and relieved. God himself came to this earth to relieve you and I. Woo! Think about it. I mean, I expect certain people to come to relief when I call. But the one true God of heaven, with the billions and billions that walk this earth, with fires burning here and tornadoes here and, and, and shootings there and violence here and drugs and with all that's going on in the world that has just fallen apart, God himself came to relieve Jeff Chrysler. That's pretty impressive to me. And he came to relieve you. 
And Zacharias said, I, I, I tell you what, I've got to praise God. I've watched. No doubt, he could say, I've watched as the followers of Baal have prayed to Baal. And you know how many times I've seen Baal show up to help his people? I have seen, I have seen all the Roman gods and deities. And I've seen people offer sacrifice to them and plead with them, please show up, please remember us, please relieve us. And I'm telling you, it's never happened. But I'm also here to tell you, I am watching a boy who is the fulfillment of all that God has promised. And God showed up today and he showed up to relieve. His people. Oh. God remembered. God relieved. And God redeemed. You and I really do not, unfortunately, have the proper understanding of what it means to be redeemed. And the reason is, is because we've never been in a situation where we have spiritually. But physically, we've not been in this situation, and so we don't really have a firm grasp on what it means to be redeemed. I just want to share a couple of words with you, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the word redeemed is the translation of the word uh, goal. And it has the idea to free by means of a price paid. Not to just free somebody just on a whim, but to free somebody only because you paid the price that it took to free that person. You can imagine, obviously, then you've got to have some prerequisites before you can redeem anybody. You've got to, number one, you've got to have, to have somebody that's indebted or else you can't, you can't redeem them. You've got to have somebody who is willing to pay said price, whatever that price might be. All right? This is all involved in that word that God redeemed his people. Involved in this word is also the idea of the kinsman redeemer. So well, what does that mean? That means God came to be flesh like you and I are so that he could be our near kinsman that would redeem us. To redeem. The other word is padah which means to deliver or to rescue. And it's kind of the results of the price being paid. That this one who at one time was enslaved is now set at liberty, who is set free. In the New Testament, you can go over and you can find that there's a, a, a couple of Greek words that are used for the word redeemed. The first one is agorazo, and it very much like that word, uh, the first word in the Hebrew has the idea of to purchase that which is enslaved. We realize that as a people we have been redeemed not with, as Peter said, corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There's also the word luo, which means to set free. The price has been paid. The theological concept in the New Testament of this whole redemption thing is that man is enslaved to sin with no hope. Mankind's bondage to sin has been revealed by the, Old Test uh, by the Mosaic Law, by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, 
our performance or lack of has become a death sentence for all of us. Colossians 2.14 Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, has come and He died in our place, taking our sins, paying the price. But I want you to understand, here's where it all changes. I've never caught this before. I should have. Never made this point that I know of. I've talked about this word redeem as going to the slave market, and that's all exactly right. But I want you to draw in your I want you to draw a picture in your mind right now. All right. If my brother Larry is running a slave market and I go to the slave market and buy a slave, where does the price go? Who gets the price for that slave? Larry does. All right? Now, hang on, because this, this is good stuff. This will be worth the price of admission today, I promise you. You and I are in a slave market as sinners. Who's our master? Satan. I'll oh, get this. I, you might even want to shout a little bit. When Christ redeemed us, that price didn't go to Satan. That price went to the Father. You see, the Father's holiness, His righteousness, had to be satisfied. And Jesus said, Father, it is satisfied in my blood. Every one of them. Every last one of them that will trust in me, Father. The price has already been sent to you. And we must forgive. First John says that if we are faithful to confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And not just our sins, but whose? The sins of the whole world. There is no limited atonement. His blood was shed for all of humanity. And the price did not go to Satan. The price went to the Father. This is the only way that you remain pure and holy and they can go to you. Father, the price is offered to you. And that's what he said when he said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my Father to present the blood. We were, uh, God remembered, he relieved, he redeemed. And as you continue to look at Zechariah's song, you'll see that we were re-educated. So, well, what do you mean? Go back and look at the text. He has visited us. He has redeemed us in verse 68. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in darkness and in righteousness, I mean in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thy child shall be called the prophet of the highest, 
For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give what? Knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. You ever thought about where you'd be? Had God not said, let me send John to give them knowledge that they're sinners. Let me send them John so that John can tell them that they need to repent. They need to do it quickly because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know where you'd be today had God not sent that dear old lady Sunday school teacher in your Sunday school class? That, that pastor that at different times we've ripped him apart because of this or that and the other? Those deacons, those church members, we ever thought where we would be were it not for the Word of God to educate us? And I said re-educate because we knew from the beginning in Adam who God was and what was expected from us and how to keep that relationship with them. We forfeited a great deal in Adam. And it, were it not for God and, and, and sending people like John to re-educate us, to remind us of where we were, I, I, don't think we, I don't think we think about that often enough. It's one of the reasons why I showed that video this morning. If you've never known the noise of battle outside the front door of your house, you're better off than millions and millions of people in this world. If you have had the opportunity not to get up and say, well, I just don't feel like going this morning, but I had the opportunity to get up and to go to God's house and to sing praises to God, whatever style of music they may use, but to go and to worship God. We've had a wonderful opportunity. You and I could have just as easily been born if it weren't for the grace of God in a land where all we knew about was some witch doctor. I'm serious, y'all. We Americans sit in our pride and our arrogance as if God owed it to us to be here. We could have just as easily been brought up not knowing anything of God. I'm thankful this morning that God's educated me. I may not be the smartest guy. I may get my tenses all mixed up when I'm speaking. But I'm thankful today that God showed me I was a sinner and that His Son was the only hope. And I wouldn't trade all the degrees and all the other education in the world for that little piece of education. Zechariah was awful thankful that God had, re had remembered, had relieved, redeemed, re-educated, and then renewed. And I'll close very quickly with this. In the text, he did all of this so that now we might live for Him. I would challenge you to go back sometime and reread in the book of Exodus when God said, Moses, the famous statement, 
Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. But you know what we often forget? We sing songs about that, don't we? Let my, you know, the big bass booming voice, let my people go. How many of you remember why God said, let my people go? Anybody? That they might worship me. Hang on to this, please. If you don't get nothing else this morning other than we ought to be praising him this morning, get this. God did not do all that he did so that we could accept his gift and say, thanks, God, and then live the life we want to live on our own. God said, Israel, I'm redeeming you from Egypt. I'm setting you free so that your life will be spent worshiping me and being an example to the nations of the world that there is only one true God. Your life is not yours anymore. It belongs to me. Israel, you have no right whatsoever to determine when you will service me or serve me, how you will worship me. It is not your choice to decide when, where, and how. It is mine. And your life belongs to me 24-7 from this day forward. Say, well, I'm, that's, that's all right, Brother Jeff, but that's Old Testament. I'm glad you said that. Look at Romans chapter 12, if you will, please. Romans chapter 12. He has renewed us. Not for us to walk around and stay in love with the world and the world system. Not to live here and grab all we can as we go through life. And not here to guide our life on whatever path you and I see fit. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you. Stop, don't read any further. What's the word beseech mean? I urge, I beg, I plead with you. Now, y'all know the Apostle Paul. Is there any way, is there any way, Brother Jerry, that the Apostle Paul would say to us today, I... I beg of you guys. What do you, think our, our, what do you think we ought to do if the Apostle Paul says, I beg of you to do something? You reckon our ears ought to perk up and say, what, what, what? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing by inspiration of God himself. I beg you, therefore, stop, don't read any further. What's the word therefore mean? Because. I plead with you because. Well, because What? I plead with you because of the mercies of God. If you're a child of God, you've, you've experienced those mercies, and I beg with you to do something. What is it? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Lay your life on an altar of sacrifice. Your life that is holy. This is your acceptable service. Your reasonable service. Anybody have another translation or a, a note in their Bible about this word reasonable at the end of verse 1? 
True. Anybody have anything else? I can't remember which translation I was reading this week in preparing, but one of the translations I was reading this week used the word sensible. I liked that. What does it mean if you do something that's sensible? The answer is in the word itself. It makes sense. Funny how that worked, because that's exactly what my mind thought. Wait a minute. Because of the mercies of God, my life is not free to live the way I want to live it. It's not mine to dictate anymore. In fact, because of the mercies of God, the only simple thing that makes any sense at all is for me to do what? Here it is, Lord. Here it is. I love it. Sensible. For me to keep my life to myself... After experiencing the mercies of God, doesn't make any sense, does it? Zechariah, after nine months of not talking, opened his mouth and began to sing. God has remembered. God has redeemed relieved God has redeemed God has re-educated us God's renewed us so that we can live for him this song was not sung the way we often sing our songs but it was sung from the heart that realized where Zachariah would be where Israel would be. Where all the nations of the world would be. This song was sung realizing where you and I would be. Had God. Had God. Not stepped out of eternity. And began this ball. Father we come to you this morning as our musicians come. And we prepare to sing a verse of imitation. I pray God that. Today, we would see the beauty, the wonder that you would love us so much that in the person of your Son, you yourself would visit us. That you yourself would pay that price to set us free. Wow. Father, help us today to realize that the only thing that makes any sense at all now is for us to fall on our face and worship you and offer to you our lives as a living sacrifice. Stir in our hearts and move in our midst right now. I pray for the decisions that need to be made, ones that need to come and join our church, those that do not know you as Savior, those that have unconfessed sin in their life, they just need to come and get it right with you. And those that your spirit is impressing that just simply need to worship and adore you today, may we respond as you lead. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.